Hello, you're listening to Just Screen It, Case Studies in Creative Distribution. I'm your host, Colin Stryker, and I am not an expert in indie film distribution. I am an independent filmmaker working towards making my first narrative feature, a horror film entitled The Grove. Uh, as I've been contemplating my own eventual distribution strategy, I've come to the conclusion that we need more data, more transparency, more information about how the various distribution options that are out there have worked for people. So I decided to start this podcast to help capture some of the experiences of those who have already been through it, whether successful or otherwise, and from those experiences, help both listeners and myself better understand this really complex, crazy landscape of independent film distribution today. So each week, I'll be bringing on a filmmaker who has self-distributed or been personally involved in the distribution of their film. My hope is that future filmmakers can take the knowledge gleaned from the show and use it to make their own decisions on how to best distribute their films. All right. Hey, everybody. How are you? Happy holidays to you. This episode should be coming out right in the thick of holiday things. So however you celebrate, I hope you're having a good time. I've got a great one for you today. I'm chatting with Victoria Vertuga, talking about her mockumentary found footage horror film, Lexi, about a social media influencer who seems to get stalked by some possibly supernatural forces and the fallout of that results. It's a really cool, creepy, sometimes cringe-inducing movie made on a very, very low budget during the COVID lockdown. Victoria talks openly about her experiences getting Lexi out there to streaming platforms, divulges some real numbers. I love when they do that and has some great words of wisdom for filmmakers out there. This is a great episode to close out the new year. I want to get right to it. So without further delay, here is my conversation with Victoria Vertuga. All right, Victoria, welcome to the show. It's good to see you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So just to start out, if you don't mind, maybe just give a little bit of your origin story, how you got into filmmaking in the first place, and we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So I started as an actress, and I was shockingly unsatisfied with some of the opportunities I was getting and the roles I was going out for. A lot of hot blonde, dumb blonde, hot, dumb blonde. So <laughs> I started writing because I was like, you know, these roles are not doing it for me. I guess if I want to play something really good, I'm going to have to write it myself. Nice. So I've been writing and then, you know, all the hats that you wear as you delve into filmmaking and stuff. So I've been writing, producing, directing all the things basically since about 2016. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's been it's been amazing. I love the fact that it's it's given me a lot more sense of control. Obviously, like it's nice to, to be the person in charge of the thing and set the tone on your sets and and get to like treat people the way you wish you were treated and, yeah. and have that power, more delicious power. So, yeah, I really like that. It's also funny because it's it's made it like when I get hired to act, I'm like, this is so easy, right? One thing to worry about. Usually yeah. I'm wearing like 17 hats, you know, and I'm running around doing all the things. So I'm like, oh, that's your problem. Like, I'm just going to sit here in my trailer and wait till you call me, you know? It's exactly. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's totally that's what I was going to say was that like, yes, it's it's great to be able to have all of the control and the power and all that stuff. But at the same time. It's like you have so much responsibility and so much falls on you. So much, so much. And also like, you know, you have this power, but you're also dependent. I think in your case, because it's kind of a found footage documentary thing, I think you probably kind of had a minimal crew and, and sort of. Oh, yeah. I know. Like, we've, you know, I've, I've done like, you know, a dozen projects at this point. So, yeah, Lexi yeah, yeah, was. A yeah, very okay. Weird, so, and I don't mean to say that was your only project. Yeah, no, 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 yeah. no, no. Lexi yeah. was a very weird thing it, it was a covid film so we filmed it like basically oh, during, we wrote it yeah. and shot it during lockdown so oh, that's okay. why it's so contained in the way it is so like the way that that whole thing came about it was basically just wanting to do something during that time when like everything was completely shut down obviously we had a, another feature the one that we shot the one that's just being released right now 
Okay. We were planning to do next and everything got shut down. So oh. I just wanted to find something to do. So that's where Lexi was born. So yeah, the, the whole way that Lexi was made was such a unique, interesting process because it was so different from like the normal way of filmmaking. Yeah. But yeah, that's why it's so contained. And that's why, yeah, for sure, for sure with Lexi, it was like, we did it around like my husband's still working from home, you know, and I was doing all my other gigs. And so we like shot it over the course of months, just kind of around our schedule weird way unlike anything i've ever done but yeah it was it was a cool process though very very challenging and interesting and awesome so yeah yeah definitely i mean good for you for like figuring out a way to take advantage of that you know covid downtime you know get something out there i mean yes. this was your that was your first feature right Am yeah I that was my that? first feature absolutely yeah so up to that point we'd done i'd done a web series i'd done a bunch of shorts a half an hour pilot an hour pilot this is my first feature so yeah, you know, the good thing about filmmaking is like filmmaking is filmmaking, right? The process yeah. is the process. So yeah. whether you're doing, you know, one day shoot or a 17 day shoot for a feature film or whatever the case may be, like, I think it's actually, it's good to kind of get your feet wet with a, with a smaller project so you can learn the process, figure it all out. Of course, the more hats you're wearing, you know, I had to figure out a process for me that worked in terms of that I learned the first time I did it. The first thing I ever did actually was a half an hour pilot. So yeah, I had to figure out, you know, how to protect myself as an actor to give myself that time to work on that part of it so that when the day comes and there's all these things that you're responsible for, you know, that is like in me and that's done and I've taken care of that because you're not going to have time to to do, yeah. you know, to worry about the craft when you have all the other producer responsibilities. Yeah, cool. So maybe just to get into that a little bit more, like, so it sounds like you had another project that was kind of in the works and then COVID hit. And so you kind of, you know, you couldn't do that. So you pivoted to this. Uh, how close were you to actually, you know, em embarking on the other film that you were uh, working very on close. at that time? Yeah, we, yeah. we had oh. basically, we were, in, we were in like deep pre-production. Wow. Okay. Filming in a couple months later that year. So we ended up filming that project actually at the end of 2021. Okay. I just finished our festival run with it right now. So we actually just released that this week. So it's out there. Hello. Yeah. But yeah. So, oh, cool. Yeah, Congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. So, yes. Yeah, so... I always say like, I don't sit still well. So yes, relaxing is a relaxing for me. So yeah, when COVID happened, when the lockdown happened, everything got put on pause. It was like, oh, you know, like just needed to find an outlet and have something to do to still be creative and still make something happen. And what was really cool about Lexi's because of the, like I mentioned, it was such a unique process. Also, we made it for like $12, you know, we made it for the cost yeah. of like a mannequin head and I paid my actors and that was it. Right. So it was so dirt cheap that it was like, no, there's no stakes. Like there's no investor were responsible for paying back, you know, like the other project. And so because of that, it kind of put us in this unique position to have this, this product and kind of use it as a learning experience and kind of take our lumps with this project. Yeah. We can apply those lessons to the future things. And because again, the, you know, the budget was so low and the stakes were like, we had no one that we were accountable to just this like weird little COVID project. I mean, I say that with love, but yeah, it, it kind of, it was just a unique thing in that way. I also feel like because we made it, uh, because of the circumstances surrounding how it was made, I didn't feel so sensitive maybe, or like precious, you know, you as a creator, they're like our babies, right? And you know, yeah. we feel like it's like very vulnerable to put things into the world. And because it was kind of just like weird in a weird time and we made it a weird way, I was just kind of like, oh, let's see what happens. I didn't feel kind of that like sensitivity around it the way I do sometimes with other things. Like, I wish I could figure out how to apply that to everything going forward. But yeah, so that, that kind of freed us up in a lot of ways. It was kind of a gift in that way. So it was perfect project to kind of experiment with self-distribution on because of those of those factors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's totally cool. So yeah, kind of kind of shifting over to that subject. So you, you get it made. Actually, why don't we just take one step back? Because I saw the movie, yeah. you've made the movie, but our listeners don't actually know. If you want to just give a quick summary yeah. of you know what the movie is, that kind of thing. So yeah. you know what we're talking Absolutely. about. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Lexi is a mockumentary kind of found footage horror thriller film. It's available. Oh, no, shameless plug. It's available on Tubi and Amazon and all the places if you want to check it out. 
basically because this was COVID time, we were trying to think of an idea that would allow it to be mostly me, me in my house, right? Because it's like, what do you have access to? And then maybe a, a few very contained roles for other people that I could shoot one at a time. Because again, we filmed this early COVID, no vaccine, you know, whatever, a very, very different time. So, you know, just kicking around ideas. And I've always been into, I love true crime. I'm like a true crime freak. Podcasts, documentaries, the whole nine. But there is kind of like an inherent grossness to it, right? Like an exploitative nature to the whole thing. Like you're basically, you know, profiting off of tragedy that's befallen yeah. one or multiple someones or whatever. So I'm just kind of interested in that. And I've all, there's this story of, Alisa Lamb, this this tourist who came to LA uh, on vacation, and there's this really weird footage of her at this hotel, um, the Cecil Hotel in downtown LA, which has the kind of very weird history to it as well. It has a bunch of like murders and disappearances and weird occurrences like, that have kind of happened in this place. So it has its own kind of wacky history. But there's this footage of her, the last footage of her before she went missing, in the elevator of the hotel lobby. And she's just behaving kind of strangely, right? And and because of how we're seeing it, we're seeing the security camera footage. So you, you can't see if there's like somebody on the other side, like, is she talking to somebody? Is she by herself? Like so many questions because you can't see it all, right? And so that kind of just sparked an idea in me. And I was like, oh, I haven't really seen anything done with like security camera footage. There's something to me kind of inherently compelling about that. Because it's, it's like, you only ever see that if like something's about to happen or something weird is going on. So I was like, maybe we can tell a story using security camera footage. So then it's, you know, coming up with, well, why are we watching this footage? You know, what are we seeing? Who's this girl? Why is she stuck in her place? So that's kind of how we landed on it. Because we had these very specific, like, parameters that we had to follow because of COVID yeah. as whatever. So it kind of, it was fun because we had a very small sandbox to play in, but then we could be very creative in those parameters. So that's how it came about. Yeah. And I think you totally accomplished that. So just to, I, I'm not sure if you covered this specific aspect of it, but, yeah. but, but, but Lexi is like this influencer right so yes, she has right, this big sorry, audience yes. of people that are kind of following her but then she's you know starts to get kind of stalked or you know weird things start yeah, happening yeah, so in she, her house it's never totally. really i shouldn't i shouldn't give away too much but no, she's that's fine. stalked that's, that's and it, it's not explained what's going on with her and she starts to go you know kind of more and more crazy exactly so yeah it's about an influencer who yeah exactly she's yeah. just an influencer and we tell the story with her own like social media posts and her her yeah. vlogs, uh, as well as the security camera footage from her house, and then it's a mockumentary, right? So we have a couple of experts that are chiming in with their theories on what's happened. So basically, she's she's disappeared, and we're telling the story of her disappearance with everyone kind of trying to figure out what happened to her. So yeah, she moved into this house. She kind of is being bullied online. Also, weird things are happening in the house, and she starts to kind of yes uh, deteriorate and like spiral. And it's kind of the story of of her kind of spiraling and then her disappearance and everyone trying to make sense of it. Yeah, totally. And so, you know, underneath it all, I think, you know, I certainly read into it sort of a satire or commentary on kind of social media and, you know, how, 100%. how this is all, you know, the idea of inviting people into your lives and what does that, you know, really mean? And this kind of personality that you present, all that stuff, you know, it's great, great thematic stuff. So thank you. Yeah. You know, kudos to you for finding something that you could do during that time and finding such an inter interesting project and creating such an interesting character to make this around. You know, I, I think it's a, a, a real success. So Thanks. Kind of going into it, like you said before that you'd done a pilot. I don't know if you yeah. said. You'd... Yeah, a couple of shorts, a couple of pilots, a web series. Yeah. Had you had any experience with kind of distributing stuff? Not so much because, you know, obviously with with shorts, I mean, we've you know, we've had shorts that have gotten picked up by like channels and whatever, that kind of stuff, but not for a money making endeavor. Right. The, I, usually the goal of a short is to just kind of get eyeballs on it. Right. Or possibly whatever. You can have a lot of goals with a short, but making money usually ain't one of them. Right. right. So the distribution part of it kind of is a moot point. So yes, we had shorts and we had a web series that we that we released and that that has since come out on like Amazon and YouTube and those things. But at the time we were just kind of letting it live in, in the world and having a festival run and kind of using it for that kind of stuff, you know, using it as uh, proofs of concept, using it as footage examples, you know, learning experiences, all those things. So Lexi was really the first kind of foray 
obviously a feature is much more sellable if you will like yeah. you can pop it up and make some money on a feature so that is yeah that was kind of our first first foray into self-distribution on that kind of a scale yeah and when so when you were when you were kind of when you conceived of making it and making it were you giving thought to that at all were you just kind of focused on making it we're in COVID. i just want to make this movie or did you have kind of a distribution plan like right up front that you were kind of targeting we didn't so much while we were making it but as it was finished and we realized kind of oh what we had then then we kind of recognized it for the unique opportunity that it provided mm. you know because we did have this other feature that was you know that we were going to do as soon as things pick back up and we have multiple other projects in the works so we kind of recognized that this was a chance for us to kind of again learn those ropes and figure some things out and take our lumps and kind of try things on it and hopefully figure out a few things that that are beneficial that work that we can apply for the projects going forward yeah. so we it was again it was kind of a weird way you know kind of a backwards way that we made it because because of the circumstances so we didn't we didn't really have a, a set plan Certainly when it was done, then kind of looked into that. It's like, you know, we shot to distributors, got some offers, you know, did my research on Film Hub and self-distributing and aggregators and stuff like that and kind of figured out what the plan was. So we had the chance, so basically we had one like small MG, but because the budget was so low in this movie that it actually would have been a profit that we could have taken and, and you know, been done with it. But I really kind of wanted to use this for the learning experience that it would provide because I felt like the the data and the information and the lessons I would learn would be more beneficial than a couple thousand dollars that I would get, you know? And obviously, like, you know, it's a, it's a horror film. It's going to make its, its you know, turn a profit fairly quickly because it's because it, like, yeah. I mean, it's so cheap. So well, it's just, a, sorry to interrupt, but that's just the what? great advantage of making something with such a low budget is it, that yes. the stakes are so low in terms so of like low. whether you need to make your money back or not that you can just do whatever you want. You can kind of just experiment and not, you don't have to feel like whether you'd feel this way or not is everybody's personal kind of yes. choice or whatever. But, you know, you don't have to feel like anything's failed if you have not managed to make your money back on it or something like that, because you're probably going to make your money back on it with that little money. And it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's kind of like it's almost like the money you spent on. It's kind of just pocket money. Right. It's like yes. it's not even like a significant amount. So, you exactly. know, and I, and I just, I, yeah, I yeah, love hearing those open. stories. That's that's exactly what that was exactly the situation. Whereas you know, I think if we didn't have an investor, it's, it's our own, you know, money, it's whatever. So there's no one that you're beholden to that has a stake in the thing that has opinions on how you should do things that is w desperately waiting for their money back or on your, you know, checking in with you all the time asking what your plan is. So yeah. it was a very different yeah, thing. And I think I think for sure that frees you up in so many ways. It takes the pressure off. It takes the you know, it's it very, very different in a lot of ways. Yeah, that said, I, I would think that it's still like I'm, you know, I made a documentary feature back in the 2000s and played festivals and uh, but I never really dove into dis distribution in a, in, a, in a serious way. I, you know, I put out some feelers, things like that. But so with this film, I'm just kind of like, like curious at the point that you've made the film and you're kind of getting ready to distribute, even though the stakes are low, it's still a lot of work to look at to self-distribute a film, right? Totally. And so what were your thoughts on that? Were you like looking forward to doing that work? Is that something that you really wanted to dive in and and like sort of you know, immerse yourself in or did it feel like something you just had to get through in order to give the film its due? Like, what were your feelings about that? Yeah, I'm definitely option B in that. I, <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm an actress. I'm a writer. I'm a creative. I like to do the creative work. I do. I am also very type A and organized. So like, I do have that set of skills, but I don't necessarily enjoy that stuff. Like even producing, like I'm a really good producer, but uh, I don't know that I like it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so same thing with self-distribution. No, I would not say that I was like, yay. Facebook ads and business <laughs> work and yeah. ugh, like deliverables and no, that is not my jam at all whatsoever. But I was kind of, I guess, excited or curious 
to just, just, just to see how things would go and to like figure out what I could figure out. So that I, what I really wanted to do it was to be more empowered in my discussions with like distributors or anything for future projects. Cause like, then we have a baseline to establish, like, look, I know I can do this on my own. So are you giving me something that is worth your stake in this? You know, is it, that's going to, are you giving me something that, that is worth me giving you an extra 15% or an extra 20% or whatever it is like, yeah. or not. So I, that like, ha- I love the, the power that the data and the information has. Like, I, I like that part of it, but the, work or like the actual stuff of it like oh no thank you damn if i could pay somebody to do that stuff for me like yes like yes take it away. but that would have like 10 times your your budget on 100%. The income, right? so, <laughs> yeah. 100 yes so yeah but but i mean i love that the the notion of like turning it into a learning opportunity turning it into a way of learning what you can so that you can take that and apply it to your next feature and you know i think that that way of looking at things in general is a great way for filmmakers to think about things. Like think of every film you make, everything you do as a learning opportunity for the future, not necessarily just, you know, everything is uh, filmmakers have a tendency to just throw everything into what they're doing right now. And like, you know, not really thinking about forward steps in their career, you know, they're sort of like every, they're throwing everything in one basket. So, you know, knowing that you had a bigger project kind of, you know, that you had to put on hold that's coming in the future that you can use this as a learning opportunity to help you when you get to that point, I think is, is also really smart. Yeah, I totally agree. I, it, it's, it's, I mean, I get it, right. It, it is such a crazy undertaking to make a film to complete yeah. anything. So I understand why people feel like, Oh, this is it. This is it. But like the reality of the landscape now is like, it's probably not it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even if you look yeah. at these like breakout hits, like people always want like terrifier, terrifier two. Okay. First of all, it's Terrifier 2, not Terrifier 1. That was a huge breakout hit. Secondly, that dude was making, Damien was making YouTube videos of that character for like a decade before he even made the first Terrifier. So like, you're not necessarily seeing the work that people have put in when you see these like breakout indie success. Like you don't know the story behind it. It could have been 10, 15 years in the making of a bunch of things that they were doing to lead up to that. So the chances of your like one film, your first thing you do being like nothing that changes it all for you, not to be pessimistic, but it, probably it's not, it's not, really going to go that way. So yeah, I think you have to, it's all about your mindset and framing it and, and being very honest. And why are you doing this? What do you hope to get from it? And then, you know, planning accordingly and hopefully looking at it holistically as far as what it can do for your whole career and your next steps versus, you know, putting all your chips in this one basket that, you know what I mean? All your eggs in one basket, hoping that it's going to be the thing that's going to like blow it open for you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So let's then talk about your experience of kind of self-distributing Lexi, like what did you can can you lead us kind of through the steps that you went through did you enter it into festivals i know it was kind of an awkward time because of covid yeah, but it, you know there were still some yeah, opportunities things were opening up i don't you know can you talk about that totally. a little bit we had my web series actually was was on that festival circuit at the same time that we were making lexi so i had a project on the festival circuit but everything was remote at that time and just because the way that i felt you know i totally appreciate that like festivals still did their thing and tried to make it whatever but there is something kind of lost when it when it is remote and virtual in my in my my opinion so i didn't really want to take the time with it because again we had this other project like ready to go soon so we didn't really care about a festival run for lexi because of of we were more interested in like getting it out there and like learning those lessons and getting that information before the next project and again because i had another project on the circuit at that same time so we didn't do a festival run for lexi we just hit up all the distributors that we had contacts with you know at this point there's a handful of people that I know and distributors that I know. So again, we got some offers, we got some, you know, rejections as is typical. And then I was also looking into Film Hub and, and self-distributing through them. You know, it's an aggregator. I'm assuming most of your listeners probably know what it is at this point. Yeah. I was really kind of interested in that because just the sense of 
a lot of the distributors at this level, they're taking a bigger percentage than Film Hub takes and they're really not doing any marketing for your film anyway. That's on you. And a lot of times they have marketing expense caps and stuff, which you have to make that money back before you see any money. And they're charging it without really doing anything, right? They're just kind of yeah. taking money first without really doing the marketing that it's supposed to be for. So that's just kind of the landscape of things. Did you kind of know that going into it? Like, you know, because I think a lot of filmmakers go into it, they maybe haven't learned those lessons already. And so totally. they're like, oh, boy, a distributor is interested in my film. And then, you know, it, it doesn't go anywhere. It gets put on a shelf with a thousand other movies just like it or whatever. It doesn't get marketed, stuff like that. Yeah. So it sounds like you kind of had some of that knowledge going into it and totally. were ready to reject those offers that didn't sound, you know, particularly appealing to you. Yes. And one thing I am, I'm definitely like a researcher, right? So I, I like to be informed. So you know, and I have the benefit of, you know, having been in this industry for a while, you know, as an actress, but being part of projects, being friends with filmmakers, all these things. So I definitely did a ton of research on various companies and deals and all kinds of stuff. So I could inform myself and know what was expected. You know, the, another sad reality of the business is that the amount of like honest distributors that even pay you at all and like return people's emails and phone calls and like actually deliver the accounting reports when they're supposed to is a very small, unfortunately. So not only are the deals bad, it's like there's a lot of really shady companies that are basically designing their contracts to keep you in the red and then just ghosting filmmakers and, you know, taking advantage of them and all these things. So I think, I think again, back to the filmmaker thing, I think there, there can sometimes be overly excited. They're overly excited just to have a, an offer and interest and they don't do the due diligence in terms of looking at the contract or gathering data, gathering information. There's also a little bit of ego. I think that comes into play where people, people think self-distribution sounds like dirty and gross and like me, like, Oh, no one wanted you. So you did it yourself. Right. Yeah. And if they, they think like saying, oh, I got signed by this distributor. Ooh, it's a big deal. But it's like, it, it all, again, it all depends on your goals, right? It's like, do you want to make money or do you want to whatever? Like if you want to use it as a bragging right, whatever. It's what are, you, what are you doing? But just be informed about why you're making the decisions that you're making. So for us, there's no ego attached. You know, again, this wasn't an Oscar winning film. We had no like aspirations of it. You know, it was a movie that we made during COVID. I love it. Don't get me wrong. I, I yeah, yeah, no, no, I get it. Fun. Yeah. But like, you know, again, being realistic about like where it fits in the marketplace. So because of that, we didn't care about saying we got distributed or not, you know, it didn't matter to us. It didn't really, it didn't really matter. So looking at those offers and doing that, you know, that data, again, it came back to like, there was one offer that we were considering um, with a company that at least is honest and pays people and has a good rep that was offering us a little bit of money up front. But in the long run, it just seemed like this was a better opportunity for us to, to do it ourselves and, and get that information. So once we decided that, then it was, uh, you know, Film Hub is pretty straightforward as far as how it works, you know, they have pretty thorough like Q and A's. So just getting them deliverables in order and then kind of figuring it out. You know, there are definitely downsides in terms of not knowing when your project is going to go live on any of the various platforms, not having a set date where like, yay, on November 3rd, everything will be live. You know, it, it goes live on platforms piecemeal. So that can make it challenging. Yeah, just th there's definitely downsides to it uh, for sure. But for depending on the project, at least you know, you know, you're making, you're getting paid, you're getting paid when you when they say they're going to pay you, you see your your like insights. You know, you see what yeah. you're going to making. You get paid that amount of money, and you have control over it, right? So, like, say a company in Japan wants to license Lexi, and they want you know want to be exclusive in Japan, we can just pull it off and make it not available in Japan and sell those rights over there. So it allows you a lot of flexibility, and you're not tied into a contract either, because a lot of these distributors have very very long contracts, so you're stuck with them, you know, for seven, ten, fifteen, twenty five years, depending on the contract what you work out. So this gives us total freedom to do whatever we wanted. So yeah, the pros outweigh the cons for us in this situation. Yeah. And they basically just take a kind of a percentage, right? Is that how Correct. that works? I haven't done so, it, done Film Hub. Yeah. But, so there's basically yeah. two major aggregators at this point, Film Hub and Bitmax. So mm -hmm. Film Hub, they literally just revamped their site and changed how they're doing some things and changed some offerings. So I believe that they now have like a, a different offering where it gives you more, I don't know, something I haven't looked into it yet. 
where you have to pay a monthly fee. But as uh, the way that it worked when we did this was there's no upfront fees and they take a flat 20%. Mm-hmm. And you're again controlling the rights. So you're saying, you know, I want it available in these countries and I, I, you can choose whether you want it on TVOD, AVOD, or SVOD, or only one of them. You can choose what, you know, territories you want it to be available in. And then it's kind of like a, a farmer's market, if you will. It's just like s- setting up their booth, right? So you're like paying them for the, for the opportunities to set your booth up in, in, their, in their marketplace. And then they make your project available to all the platforms. And the platforms that's, that are interested in it, they snatch it up and then it's like, okay, this, this platform has selected it. And then the time from which it's been selected to when it goes live can again be anywhere from weeks to months. Mm. That can be challenging if you're like waiting to go live on like a Tubi or an Amazon and you want to start promoting it, you know, it can be months of waiting. So I definitely think one of the things that I was kind of not surprised, well, I guess maybe surprised by is, is how long it really took. Like just the, like from start to finish before you were really live anywhere. It was definitely a little bit longer, more of a leeway than I, I was expecting. So that was definitely, you know, something that you had to figure out like, oh, wow, it's going to take a minute. Yeah. I've read that on on Facebook posts and stuff. A lot of people seem to kind of, uh, maybe some of them are complaining, some of them aren't complaining, but they're just kind of like, when am I going to, when is this going to hit? Like, why is it taking yeah. so long? You know, that kind of thing. So yeah, it's interesting that that's, uh, that's a problem. Uh, I'm also curious about something you said about so once it's on Film Hub, it is, is it still up to the individual streaming platforms whether they want to actually take the film or not? Like, Correct. It, it, it's, so all, it's not a guarantee if you put it on Film Hub that it's going to be not, on Amazon at some nope. point, you know? No, not okay. at all. It wow. makes it, again, okay. it just makes it available. So it, right. it tells, like, you know, the it says to all the platforms, like, this is our catalog. This is, these are the films that we have available. And it's up to the platforms to take it or not take it. So they're hmm. not making any guarantees. There's no guarantee. Right. There's actually, a, you know, Amazon famously is always changing their mind about, yeah. like, what they don't you know documentaries weren't allowed for a minute okay never mind now they're like rolling it back and some documentaries are back allowed so it depends but at the time when we were going live too a lot of films were actually being rejected by amazon through film hub and then they would do it through pvd which is prime video direct which means themselves as a filmmaker and amazon would take the same film that it had just rejected through film hub makes no sense uh, no rhyme or reason to it it's so different department probably or something probably who knows, who right? knows right so, that's so a, i think that's part of the problem that you know we as filmmakers need to try to talk about a little bit more is like a little bit more insight into how these things are done. There's so much, it's such a black box. There's so little transparency into yes. the streaming platforms. I think, you know, the strikes, you know, that had something to do with that. And uh, you know, it's like it's symptoms of this exact same problem, right? Yeah. As far as like the pay structure goes. And as far as this, this like mysterious way that they pay you and calculate earnings. Yes, exactly. It's why the right, like for, for us as writers and actors and for us as filmmakers, it's the same, it's symptoms of the same problem for sure. Yeah. Definitely there were filmmakers who like kind of thought that I think Amazon would be like a given and it wasn't or they found that they had to do it themselves or, you know, go go figure. Who knows? Now there's talk. And I don't know if this is true or not, but uh, one of the main places that filmmakers make money these days is Tubi. Mm-hmm. And there's talk now that Tubi is becoming much more selective or they're going to change things. You know, obviously what tends to happen is that these platforms start and they allow a lot of independent film and then they kind of want to create their, either create their own t- content and or distinguish themselves in some way and then they start becoming more selective so then you know it, it kind of is like an ego thing right they they want to only allow their own stuff or they want to you know do a lot more curating of things so yes you just don't know it's that's one of the things that makes this so hard is that it's literally changing constantly so you can't it's impossible to stay on top of it so you know maybe at one point amazon was very friendly to filmmakers and they made good money on it but now you make like 0.01 cents per hour viewed like 
that's insane if you're on their you know, SVOD service. So it's definitely not not easy to make money that way. And again, it's always changing and it's very nebulous too, even as far as like figuring out, well, what, what do I get paid? How much am I getting paid? It depends on the film. It depends on the ad. It depends on all these things, right? It's like so many factors. It's very hard to get a, a straight answer. There often isn't even a straight answer. It's just like yeah. this very nebulous formulaic thing that, I don't know, it's like the magic sauce, right? It's like the 57 ingredients or whatever it is. It's like they're not going to tell you. Yeah. What platforms did you land on with? Yeah, so we're, I think we're on like 33. And let's let's be honest, most of them are small platforms that you make very little on. I'm talking like dollars, like, you know, under $30 a month. That's still pretty good, actually. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, it, it all depends, right? It all depends. Right, right. right. It, it, it all depends. It's all relative. <laughs> so, exactly. It's completely all I've relative. heard figures much less than that. So, yes. You know, and yeah. there are some anyway. that I made no money on. And there are also yeah. some that it seems like, so Film Hub is always adding and removing platforms as well. So there are definitely yeah. some that we got selected by that then Film Hub realized like, oh, they're not holding up their end of the bargain or they're not like, legit or they're not whatever. They're doing something wrong. So then they pull them, right? So there's been at least like five or six that we're that we were selected for and probably live on that that then Film Hub doesn't work with those platforms right, anymore. Right, right. At least on main... top of that, at least at least you yes. have, you know, your film is with somebody who's actually looking for those maybe shady platforms or whatever it is, whatever reason, rather than just it goes there and it's done and nobody cares anymore ever again, you know, like, which I think exactly. is the problem with a lot of distributors. You know, you get distributed by somebody, it goes up on their, in their content, on their catalog and nobody cares about it ever again, you know? So, exactly. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, they're definitely like, yeah, you at least have like some level of, somebody doing some kind of work and curating. Right. right. Even though they're doing work for, you know, thousands of other filmmakers, at least 100%. they're doing work. You well, know? At least they're doing it. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So the main ones for sure for us, it's, you know, Amazon and, and Tubi for sure are mm -hmm. top two platforms. There's also, because we are a horror film, yeah. uh, horror fans are, you know, horror fans love content. They're like amazing. They're the best horror fans are the best. But so there's some like weird kind of niche horror websites and horror like streaming services that we actually make a decent amount on, but significantly less than like Tubi. Yeah. So those are probably our best earners. I know some people do well on Plex and a few of the other ones. Um, for us, Plex has been, eh, you know, most of, most of those smaller platforms for us are again, like under 30 bucks a month. Yeah. Uh, are, are you able to kind of comment on overall figures for what yeah, you're kind it, of seeing monthly? I'd totally, love to hear that, it, it, but totally, totally it's optional. Totally, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. No, that's fine. And I will. Yeah. And, and also it ebbs and flows. So we have yeah. like, it's interesting too, because I think that the pay structure ebbs and flows. So we noticed a steep drop off at the same time. And I was talking to like, at least, I don't know, like two dozen filmmakers that also had a steep drop off at the same time. So it's unclear if like, there's a problem with the performance of our movies, which ebbs and flows, or if like their pay structure changed. So we made, we did really well, like our first three months or even, yeah, our first three months we did really well. The next three months we did okay. And then there was like a steep drop off. Which again, a lot of us were noticing. So yeah. So and, and again, like lack of transparency, like it would be nice if filmmakers could actually understand what's behind, you know, changes like that instead of just having to guess. Because we have no, they're not giving us any information on like streams and data of it, right? Like we yep, have no, yep. how many people are watching it and whatever. And, and so you're just kind of navigating blindly and, and hoping, you know, I don't know. So, so yeah, that, that is definitely frustrating and, and yeah, hard to plan and make concerted efforts and like do things when you don't have the information and you don't know yeah. like. What it yeah, it's like. hard to react. You know, it's hard to pivot, you yeah. know, based on, you know, that's what you know, businesses Correct. want to be able to pivot based on data. Yes. That's why there's, you know, analytics are a billion dollar industry or whatever it is, you know, like, yes. you're you want to be able to, to know. Something. Yeah, totally. Right. So filmmakers not being able to do that is a big handicap. No, not at all. So, yeah. So we, we basically were able to make our, our money back, like with our two week earnings in like the first, the first month of, of, but and that's like, okay. well, obviously I said my budget was $12, but like we had, you know, we, then we had post-production and poster and, you know, yeah. post captions or whatever. So all, all things considered the budget of our movie was like a couple thousand dollars with all that. So, yeah. So 
but that but it wasn't it didn't sustain that way right it ebbs and flows and so now yeah now we're it just really depends on the month you know it can be around a thousand dollars or can be less than that for, for all the platforms at a time um it just depends uh like i said there, there are there are quite a few platforms where you're making like nothing and there's quite a few platforms where you're making like five dollars seven dollars whatever a month yeah to be amazon continue to be our biggest earners again with some of those little horror ones coming in some months with some decent earnings so that's what it looks like for us you know it, it totally varies i've talked to lots of filmmakers Obviously, I said I'm a research, you know, gatherer, information gatherer before I did yeah. this. So I talked to tons of different people. So definitely, it seems like like urban films and horror films tend to do the best on Tubi in terms of their earnings. But it, I think it was January of this year, though, that a lot of things seemed to change. And that was around the time when they were pushing a lot more of the big, big budget, normal, like Hollywood stuff on Tubi. Like if you go to Tubi now, it used to be on the main page. There was a lot of independent stuff. Now it's like all just old Hollywood stuff that they've mm-hmm. licensed. So I don't know if, you know, something changed with their algorithms and what they're pushing and promoting, which is probably the reality. I talked to a, a few distributors as well, like Indie Rights, which is a, um, a small distributor that a lot of people will go with. They're, they're known to be honest and they only take 20% and whatever. So she was saying that what she noticed is she used to have these films that made like, you know, obviously some films made a couple hundred bucks a month and some films or not some less than that. Right. And some films were making tens of thousands of dollars a month. What she noticed happening, I think at the beginning of this year is that like everything kind of leveled out and they were like, very few films making over a thousand dollars then mm. so some films were making more but like a lot of her big earners all of a sudden just dropped significantly so again i don't know what's behind that or what the case may be but that being said prior to that happening there were filmmakers i know that were making you know a hundred thousand dollars a year off of two earnings wow. so you know you know 10 to 15 grand a month depending on the on the film and some of these filmmakers didn't even do any marketing they just put it up there and whatever you know, word of mouth. And it just depends, it, you know, it, that being said, there's way more filmmakers putting it up there making $13 a month yep, than yep. people making $100,000 a year on it or 10000 a month, you know? So it really just depends. But certainly you can make good money. It's crazy if like you do the math as far as like how many viewers you need to get that amount of money. It's absurd. You know, it's even like with YouTube, like to, to even if you're monetized or whatever, I think I think a million views gets you, between, again, it's not like a set thing, but gets you between like one and, and $3,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for a million, million people. Yeah. Views. Yeah. So, how Crazy. many millions of views do you need to like make an actual living on this or make your film's budget back if you have a hundred thousand dollar film or whatever? Like, this is absurd. Like, it's not sustainable. It's crazy. And that's we're in the situation that we're in right now, you know? So, even for our film, it's like, if you just look at like, I mean, weird things like how many ratings we have on Letterboxd or how many ratings we have on IMDb. And it's like pretty, you know, it's like, oh, we have a, a lot of people are watching this or whatever. And there were, yeah. there were some Facebook groups we found for like found footage and whatever. And it definitely like lots of discussions about our movie and that kind of stuff. So it's interesting to see like the impact it has or like where it lives on the Internet and the, the chatter around it. And does that translate to earnings or not? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, the pay system is such that you need on these AVOD services that you need so many views to actually eat real dollars yeah yeah and even then again like lack of transparency doesn't even necessarily let you know where those dollars are coming from even when you make them so yep yeah but it sounds like you know if you're talking about thousands of dollars and you only spent a few thousand dollars it sounds like you're well in the black on on this movie would that be fair to say which is yeah, absolutely. that's rare <laughs> you know yeah, yeah, part, again, certainly part of that we... is owed to the low budget but yes, still yeah it's great you know yes, like and, yes, and we'll I take think... it we'll take the win Totally. And and if filmmakers can find ways to make interesting films for that cheap, you know, or, you know, like that inexpensively. And, you know, those that's 
if you want to look at it as a business, that's one way to run a business. <laughs> totally, know? because yeah, and one of the, it was a little sobering. I will, I won't lie. In terms of like looking at the budget, so the 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 film that we just completed had a budget of 150k. We have an investor, all that kind of stuff, and it's like, oh my god. But you look at the numbers, and you're like, oh my god, how many months it's going to take to make that money back with at this rate or whatever? It's like it can be very demoralizing. Like, I definitely, yeah, it is very daunting, and you, and you have, you're like, okay, that's clearly it's not enough to. If you're again, the cheaper you can make your movie, the better. But it is obviously very challenging as a filmmaker to make a movie very cheap, especially like I'm SAG, I'm union, and all these things. Like you, then you have these extra expenses that come on board. You know, it can be damn near impossible to make a movie for like dirt cheap. So you obviously want as a filmmaker the freedom to pay people their rates and do the things and all whatever, which requires more money. But the more money you have, the this you know bigger hole you got to dig yourself out of. So it's certainly not enough if you're looking at budgets. I think really anything over like 50k for sure. Yeah. To just think that you're going to put it up on these AVOD services and make your budget back quickly. Like you're, you're not, you know, with, I mean, with rare exceptions, unless you happen to be one of these ones that hits. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I think it's, you know, I sort of think of the, the 50,000 plus up to about a million as sort of the dead zone, you know? So at a million, you're kind of like in the territory where, well, if you're spending you a million a dollars, then, so, yeah, you got some reason to think that you can spend a million dollars on this movie that makes sense that it might make its money back. It's going to get some kind of theatrical decision. It's going to get reviews in the big papers or whatever it is, you know, like it's, you know, but down below that is these scrappy filmmakers that have access to a little bit of financing. They're trying to pay, pay crew and actors, you know, kind of what they're worth. They're trying to make a real movie, not something that's like super, super, super micro budget, but it's a dead zone for, for making money back. You know, like there's just, it's so hard to make that kind of money back. And that's where I am. That's where I live. My feature is like a $300,000, you know, budget. And oh, like, totally. And I would even say like, I think it's even more than a million. I think it's, it's the landscape that we're in. It's very interesting. I, just, I, I have a, obviously, you know, I'm doing this a long, a long time. So I have, I have a lot of like people that I know in various capacities. And there's two filmmakers that I know that did features with, uh, I mean, I want to call them with like series regular level actors, right? So actors that like whose faces you'll recognize, maybe not their names, but like they're a name kind of ish, but not like a huge name, right? Yep. Both of these people made their features for like probably somewhere between a mil and one five had like decent festival runs, but not, you know, not Sundance level, but like some smaller respected festivals or whatever. But it's funny because both of these films ended up signing with a distributor that made us an offer for both of our projects that is known to be like not even very good and and kind of sketchy and they literally take any film that they're that they're whatever shown basically and it's like they they were so much more expensive than my than like our films like both of our projects and like had you know a, a caliber of cast i mean we have in this next project we have like in the horror community like a, a horror name but she's not like a you know huge mainstream name but it's just so interesting to me like they're basically landed in the exact same position that we're in and so the difference between 150k and a mil five was nothing in terms of the yeah. end result you know and they have a million and five like a million and a half hole to dig themselves out of to make money back and it's like how are you like can you imagine how are you it, how are you going to do that you can't crazy i hope they have some investors that but we're we're well educated on what their chances of making their money back so <laughs> really too. are you know and one of them one of them used WeFunder to fund the film. Yeah. And they already before, like while the, the, while the first film was on the festival circuit, they were 
already doing money for a second film, a horror yeah. film. We're about the same budget. And I'm like, with a lot of the same people invested again before they yeah. saw what happened. And I was like, oh, y'all might want to wait and see what I'm Yeah, doing. yeah. Because yeah. I really wonder if, the, I wonder if they'll be around for the third. You know what I mean? Who knows? Like, who knows? Yeah. But I mean, you know, I mean, to a certain extent, that is kind of the right way to do it, though. Like you invest sure. in the filmmaker's career or, or you know, climbing the <laughs> ladder of success yeah. rather than like that one big successful film. You know, so if you really believe in this filmmaker, maybe you invest in their first film knowing you're probably not going to make money back. But it's going to it'll be successful in some way. It'll get some attention on the festival circuit, whatever it is. And then that leads to a second film that might be a breakthrough or a third film that might be a breakthrough or whatever, you know. Totally. Totally. So who I knows? Mean, who knows what their story who knows is? Yeah. For sure. It's just very yeah. interesting because it's like there's just so many ways to look at it in terms of, of, of a film being successful for you that don't have to do with money. But unfortunately, we also still need money to like do what we're doing. So it's it's hard, right? Because, yeah, a lot of people will be like, oh, I got my film on Netflix. It's a huge success. But like if you actually know the, if you know the money, like what they pay you to license it for a year to three years, like you are making no money. And now your film's held, held hostage for three years on Netflix before you can even start to try to make your money back. Like, But it looks impressive to people. Right. So it's like there can be more than one way to like get something out of it or to achieve some kind of success with it. But it's like, I, but you got the money thing, but then the money thing, yeah. right. It's like, yeah. you also like need to earn a living doing this. And so like, how do you, I don't know. It, it's, it's know. It, many complicated questions. I don't have answers. It's just very interesting to look totally. at. It. Right. No. And they're great questions. They're just, it's great stuff to think about. It's such a complicated landscape. And I think it's just filmmakers, there aren't going to be any answers and whatever answers there are, it's going to change in a year. Change. It's going to change in a year or two. You know, so like you can't even because films take, you know, two, three years to make, you know, you made this one really quick. And, you know, that's great. But most films take, you know, a year, two, three years to make. It's so hard just to plan because even you come up with the best you know, business plan you possibly can for the current conditions. Those conditions could be totally different in three years when you're trying Absolutely. to market your film. And then, so and then it's, also it's like a hard game doing? to play. Right. And if you're working on these small budgets, like how are you possibly making enough to sustain yourself to yeah. work on this thing for three years? Yeah. Like you're not, yeah. you, you're you, not. Know, you yeah. have to have 80 million other things going on because you can't live off of your tiny, you know, 2% of a hundred thousand dollar budget or whatever you're getting. If, if you're getting that. Yeah. It's so. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I'm curious, like, so once your film was out on these platforms, did you actually engage in some marketing? Did you, did you spend some more money to try to get, cause that's, I think, you know, you can get them out to Amazon, you can get them out, you know, you can get them out there. That's really not the battle. The battle is getting people to watch. And I think that that's, you know, I think a lot of filmmakers don't, I think filmmakers are getting smarter and smarter these days, but I think, you know, for, for many years, filmmakers didn't realize how much marketing they needed to do if they wanted to actually put a film on Amazon and get people to see it. So without a doubt. Yeah. Did you undertake some efforts in that regard? Yeah. So we did. So weirdly enough for us though. Okay. So, so we, again, I think the timing was such that like our marketing push coincided with when the pay structure changed on mm. So we did not see good results from that. So for yeah. us, like, again, when you're working on this level, at least for me, everyone has their different way of doing it. Like I, at a certain point, I'm not going to continue to put money into ads if we're not making more than that off of what we're doing. Right. So we actually, so, so we did a campaign with, um, you know, like paid social ads on TikTok and um, Facebook and the like. So I think the timing of it wasn't great for us just because of the, again, it's hard to track these things because you don't know what the factors are. Where we found the most success with our marketing was really kind of niche stuff. So like, again, Lexi's a horror film, it's found footage. So there are a lot of like really diehard found footage fans. So finding those like communities in Reddit and on Facebook and whatever, and like entrenching yourself in those communities 
led to a lot of stuff for us. We we did a limited edition run of VHSs. We have DVDs. Uh, and those things are great for filmmakers because like we're talking about with these AVOD services, you're getting like a penny per view, if that, sometimes fractions of a penny. Whereas if you're selling a DVD or VHS, you know, you're getting you know, dollars all, anyway. all of it, except for right. the, your cost of a couple of yeah. dollars or whatever. So yeah. obviously a lot easier to make some money that way. So we definitely had a lot of success, like entrenching ourselves in those communities. You know, obviously me and my partner were, were actually legit horror fans too. So it's like, you know, we love, love this. We're not just, you know, out here trying to exploit it and make a buck or whatever. Right. So right. having those fans who like we, you know, those people who are going to like come back and they're going to watch it seven times on TV and then they're going to buy their DVD or buy the VHS or have me sign something or whatever the case may be. Like that, I think was a lot more fruitful for us in terms of our marketing efforts than doing paid social ads. Again, I'm not also not an expert in the paid social ad thing. That landscape is crazy and always changing too, as far as whatever. So not to say that that's not worth your time. Just also, I, I'm not, to be perfectly honest though, I'm not sure that directing ads to AVOD is worth the money. Mm -hmm. I think what you, uh, in an ideal world, you're going to come out and it's going to feed it, start to feed itself. Right. Because like, it's like your, your movie comes out. If you do a big push and people are watching it, then it continues to be recommended by the algorithm. And then hopefully like, that's the case. But if that's not the case, like the amount that you're making off of each view is so minimal that you have to get so again, to the point, you have to get so many views. So it's like, if you're driving all this traffic to Tubi, but you're making like one cent per view, you know, uh, how, like how much are you spending to get a cent back? Like it, the math doesn't add up, right? Yep. I think the ads, when you have something on TVOD where people are paying to rent it, and again, you're getting a bigger chunk of that, of that, and it's more than a cent, you know, it's a couple of dollars or whatever. I think that mm -hmm. makes a lot more sense to me. I think, I think so doing those ads when you're in that TVOD window and windowing is a, a different thing and a tactic and whatever. So when you are doing this on, like when you're self-distributing on an aggregator like FilmHub, because you don't have any control over when things come out and how long it's going to take to go live on the platforms, it's really hard to window. So windowing means like you're going to be on these like the the rent and the pay to purchase sites first. And then after 90 days, usually is what it is, then they, they go up on the AVOD services where people can watch it for free, right? Because no one's going to pay for it if they can watch it for free. Yep. But unfortunately, because it takes so long on Film Hub and like you don't have control over when things go, it makes it really hard to do a windowing thing. So the chances are like, and to be usually like, Although not right now, people are having problems with it taking months. But initially, Tubi kind of went up usually within a week or three weeks, and Amazon could take like five months to go up. So the chances are you're going to be live on Tubi before you're live on Amazon. So it, it just makes it challenging, right? So I think I think these are just things to consider. So I think if you are going to throw ads at something to drive traffic, I think it makes a lot more traffic to drive it when people are paying to rent and purchase it. So if that means like you know waiting forever for Amazon to go live and then directing all your stuff to Amazon for a couple months and then allowing it to be available for Tubi to select. Like, I think that makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. It's so hard too, because you can't, you can only react. You can't yes. proact. You can't be like, okay, my release date on Amazon is next week. So I'm going to build this campaign to get everybody to watch it next week. I mean, I think it used to be like iTunes had like this whole pre-sales thing you could do, yep. you, you know, like all of that stuff is gone now. So gone. you're just like, <laughs> you're checking Amazon every day. Oh, my movie's up. Now I can do a campaign, you know? And like, that's the thing too, right? That's really tedious and annoying. So like yeah. that for sure, like when just the checking and are we live yet? Are we live yet? Oh shit. Like when we, I was, I was like out of town for a funeral when, yeah. oh, when we got live on Lexi. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know we were live. Like, okay, I guess I'll like start promoting it Monday when I get back in town or whatever. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it's just, it makes it, it makes it challenging. So it does. Yeah. It has, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not, for, yep. it's not for the faint of heart, but yeah, <laughs> I, I do, I definitely do recommend thinking about these things and like thinking about 
out of the box ways to be creative and whatever, because, because of the fact that like we're, we're making so little from these platforms, it's like, what else can you do? What other streams of income can come up with? Like, like if you're a whore and it lends itself to merch, if you're whatever, like, I just think you, we, it's, you're, it's going to take you so long to make your money back on anything other than a tiny micro. If you're not thinking about other ways to engage with fans and find out where those fans are and other things to sell and other ways to like, you know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And and what what those ways are is going to change, you know, all the time too. Like constantly. You have to I think you have to always be ahead of that wave of like what everybody else is thinking of and, you know, come up with that original idea of how am I going to market, you know, my film in this unique way that's going to draw people, you know, remarkably, you know, uh, whatever. I'm not it's not saying it very well, but you know what I mean. No, I know exactly it's, what you mean. I know exactly you know, what you mean. It, yeah, yeah. And and like you have the, to be creative with more than your film, that's for sure. You, you know? definitely do. And yeah. and you have to like you're gonna take some lumps, right? The reality yep. is like not everything's gonna work, or like, yeah, or you're just like I'm someone who's perpetually just like bad luck timing on things. It's like, oh I just <laughs> missed that. You know what I mean? It's like, ah, yeah. like you know, so you yeah, it's gonna happen, right? Sometimes you're just like not it's not the right time and whatever, and you gotta find the next thing. Like you miss you miss the like good boat of the you know, good era of the money or the thing over here, and you gotta figure something else out and pivot. So yep. I think it requires you to kind of be adept and flexible and yeah, realize that like not everything is gonna work and things are gonna be changing and that's be, be willing and ready to uh, willing and ready to experiment, I think, you know, like just be in totally. a kind of a constant mode of experimentation. Which you know takes a lot of work. That's the thing is it just it takes so much work. And so if you just want to make your film and then throw it on Film Hub and be done with it, that's fine. But you're not necessarily going to achieve the same kinds of results as if you prepare yourself to live with it for the next year or two after it goes up on Film Hub and that kind of thing. You know, totally. But that being said, I do know also it's just so interesting. There's like so many ways to look at it and so many ways yeah. it's gonna. Like I know a, a filmmaker who he makes pretty micro budget stuff, but. Put it, like quite a bit of it and he doesn't do any marketing because he feels like it just doesn't translate so he literally just throws it up and it goes right to the next thing for him that seems to work you know he he knows he'll make because of the genres of his of his projects he knows that he'll make like x amount of money in the first couple months or whatever and then he's on to the next thing so yeah but then there's people who are like oh you're wasting the potential you know and who knows like it's so many ways to look at it but yeah totally certainly at a certain point if you're spending all this money marketing and it's not yielding results you gotta like put the brakes on that figure something else out right you're just throwing you know, add money after good or whoever they say, good money after bad, whatever. Yeah. whatever yeah, I don't know, <laughs> but yeah, I get yeah. it. <laughs> totally. Just, I'll let you go soon, but kind of looking forward, we talked a lot about Lexi, that kind of thing. I want to make sure you cover everything you want to cover. I know you yeah. did a web series. If you have anything you want to talk about that, but also your forthcoming project. Yeah. You know, what your thoughts are on, on distributing that. I know it's a higher budget film you have. I think you said you have investors. So that's, you know, you, you're now in that world of having obligations to fill or you know i don't know if you should call them obligations yeah no that's fair yeah you know people, right. people uh, answer to i don't know things yeah, like people that answer yeah. to yeah that's a good way to put it uh, yeah you know, definitely. not just not just yourself so yeah, yeah anything anything to talk about there yeah so so that project is called cold blows the wind so what we're doing okay. which is again this has been done by filmmakers with varying degrees of success but our investor really wanted to try this out so we are going to be selling it we are actually it just came out this week so coldblowsthewindfilm.com we're selling it for rent and purchase directly from our website for a, a period of a couple months. So the thought being that we can kind of capitalize on those like super fans and those people who are willing to spend the money on renting it, where we're going to get a much bigger percentage than we are on Amazon and whatnot. So we're experimenting with driving some social ads to that. We do, as I mentioned, one of the actresses in our project is pretty uh, well known in the horror community and well-liked and just has a pretty big fan base. So we're hoping that some of her fans will come over and check it out with us over there. We have physical media as well, DVDs, VHSs um, signed by me and her if, if they want. And then we have some merch as well. So we're going to be doing that for a few months before we kind of go the traditional route, which will be then on 
Um, we're going to go with the distributor for this one. So we're going to probably be on like cable VOD first and, mm-hmm. and Amazon for rental. And then for the 90 day window, because one of the benefits of going with a distributor is that they can set a date in advance and do all that and make it, you know, yeah. So, so do you have a distributor lined up? I'm not asking you to say who they are. I'm just, just, just yes, curious. Uh, yeah. We okay. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's so we had great. A, we, had a, we had a lot of, so this, we had a pretty good festival run in terms of um, the genre fest, like the horror festivals. Okay. So this is another horror film. It is correct. It's yeah. another horror film. Okay. Yeah. Great. You know, much more normal than Lexi. I don't know what you would call it. Whatever. Much, much less contained, <laughs> it's kind you know? of a straight up narrative, yes, narrative feature yes, exactly. kind of thing. Right. Right. Correct. Right. Okay. Yes, yeah. Yes. No, I'll, I'll definitely take a look at it. And, and probably watch it on your website because I Amazing. love to be able to support <laughs> filmmakers and know that the money's going to go right to them instead of all of the gatekeepers. And then they're going to get their penny for my viewing. You know? so. 100%. Exactly. So, so yeah. So we had a much more, we had a pretty good festival run with the genre fest and we had a lot of, we won a couple best feature awards nice. and festivals and stuff. So we had a lot of interest from distributors on this one. So I think we ended up with about like 12 offers, but again, and some of them were repeat offers from people who'd offered us, yeah. you know, the same old story right right same old story my 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 strategy is i will always meet with anyone even if i know there's no way i would sign with this company like no way because their reputation i want to get the contract i want to know what they're offering i want the data because it's just always useful so yeah yeah i think that's a great way to look at it to start to break in but no you already know this this distributor has a reputation you're not going to go with them but just to learn what they're saying just to be in the room and like you know that i think that's a great thing to do and have the contract right now. I know like this is what they offered us. This is the percentage that they're they're taking or they're starting with. This is what the you know this is the marketing cap. All this information. This is the term, so I can compare and contrast and like have yeah. that information. It was also interesting to compare with with other filmmakers because like sometimes what you're being offered as far as even like the percentages and the the marketing caps are very different. So it's it's interesting to see that. But yeah, so ultimately because we wanted to do the self distribution thing too, that 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 took a lot of the interest away from some people, right? Mm-hmm. Because they don't want to deal with that. So your distributor deal kind of kind of allows for some self distribution as well. It's not yeah. Like he's, he's willing to like basically rights, allow yeah. us to do this for a few months before like it cool. takes over. I and see. then at that okay. point, at that point, what we're gonna do is probably remove it from our website. Yeah. While it's on cable and TVOD, and then once it's on AVOD again, we'll put it back up because then it doesn't. Oh, matter. nice. Okay. And then he allows us to like sell our physical media and sell our merch and not have a piece of that, and that's totally fine. So yeah, like carving out those spaces that work, um, and just going with somebody that you that is like honest, has a good reputation. You know, the percentages look right, the marketing cap, you like, you know what they're going to do. They're honest about what kind of stuff they're they're doing for you. Yeah. One of the things too uh, that we are so we did meet with a couple of foreign sales agents as well. Mm. That nothing panned out with them, but. I think that exploiting foreign when you have a budget like this, because you can still make, you know, $10,000 in the Mexican market and $5,000 in the Japanese market and all these kinds of things. Um, easier said than done because it's really hard to find honest, good foreign sales agents. Really hard. And plus, you've got you to gotta do the subtitles, right? I mean, doesn't that, isn't that pretty pricey? Like if you're going to make $5,000 from some territory, but you have to spend $5,000 on the subtitles, maybe it's right. worth it. You know, then, like yeah. that's, that's a, so that's a big decision I think you have to make. And those are decisions that foreign sales agents can help you make, but they have to be trustworthy and all that kind of thing. So all yeah. that stuff. And you know, when you're talking yeah. about a sales agent, now you're talking about a fee that they're taking yep. before yep. their fee before, right? It's just one more fee. So it's all these, yeah, all these factors, but it was interesting to talk to Again, I take meetings with everybody to talk to them. And like the the good foreign sales agents kind of said that they they in genre films, they kind of are able to carve out all the territories and such where they like tend to make 150 to 250K in the first year in terms of like minimum MGs and buyouts and stuff from the various territories. So it was interesting to have that data and that number and kind of see like, okay, they kind of know on a genre film with like not necessarily any names, like but a good genre quality film, like this is what we can kind of cons- cons- can, excuse me, can consistently do or expect. 
And both of them kind of had similar numbers. So that was interesting to see. So yeah, I think if you're able to carve out the foreign markets, if, you, if you're up for it and whatever, depending on your film, depending on the genre, depending on so many factors, it might not be worthwhile, you know, depending on what yeah. you have, but it can be another source of revenue as well. So yeah, it's just so many, so many factors, but yeah, so, so we're going, we're going to do this, this little thing with the website, see what happens. Hopefully we can drive some of the, again, at least, if, you know, even if it's only like, you know, it ends up being 200 sales or whatever, it's like at least 200 sales where we're getting, you know, 90% of the money instead of 50% of the money or whatever the case may be. Right. Totally. Right. And, and, you know, I wish that that was a more viable route. I wish that that was considered a more viable route. Like, like that should, that, in some sense, that should be how it is. Like you should be able to sell your movie to people who want to watch it and they pay you for it. Yes. <laughs> you know, like it nothing can be. be more basic than that, you know? I know. And yet we have this industry that has all of these gatekeepers in between that are all taking their piece of the pie. And, you know, and I guess that's, you know, that's all about getting it closer to people. Like presumably Amazon can get it closer to people than I can, but can they yes. really? Can they really? I don't know. Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing that happens too. It's, it's such yeah. a, you know, it's such a catch 22 because it's like in the case of like, for example, like we talked about the Terrifier franchise. It's like, yeah. they only want you when you don't need them. Like he's developed this fan base as proven, you know, hence the success of Terrifier 2, the theatrical run, the people kept going back and seeing it because he's developed this fan base. He has a direct connection to his fans. Yeah. So yeah. now he doesn't need these people who are coming after totally. him with money. He can take it, but he doesn't need it. So I think I think that's actually a really big lesson. And again, way easier said than done. And I clearly haven't figured out like the perfect way to do this myself. But like, if you can build that audience directly to you and have that connection directly, you're so much more empowered, right? Like you don't need the other guys. So I think that 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 is where the power is. But it's it's just figuring out where are these people and how do I get to them. But if you can crack that, like that is what it is, because then you can, you know, continue you can do crowdfunding and Kickstarters or whatever, sell your stuff directly and you don't need any of the rest of the hullabaloo. Right. But it's like you and me in our living rooms, like, do we have access to, you know, 5000 crazy rabid fans? We're going to watch our movie like we don't know where to find them necessarily. So, yeah, I do think that like if you can get if you can get on your own website where that's the exclusive access to it. If it's good, if it's something that people really do want to see, that that will snowball to a certain yeah. extent. I mean, you probably have to put a huge amount of marketing muscle behind it, or or at least not necessarily marketing, like but but social media muscle behind it. You know, it kind of just continue to pound the pavement, make people aware of it. But if if people go to it and see it, they'll I think they'll want to consume content that way, and I think that that's a great. I, I wish filmmakers would kind of pursue that more at least kind of like you're doing kind of as a first step, like obviously if it doesn't do well or whatever, you go to the, the traditional tried route, and right? true routes. Yeah. You know, but at least give it a try and see what you can do to kind of develop your own little fan base and be not just an independent filmmaker, but an independent film seller, whatever you want to call totally. it. Totally. You know? Cause the reality um, is too, in this landscape, it's like all those, all those opportunities, like I can always just self-distribute on film hub and I'm not any worse off having tried this than I would be yeah. If I didn't, right? And the reality is too, for again on this level, like all these distributors are getting on the same platforms. It doesn't really matter. So, so you might as well exactly take your experiments first and whatever. Because it, 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 when we did the math too, it's like so interesting on our budget. It's like I think we only needed like oh, I can't remember the math. Whatever, you know, at this budget, we needed like fifty, like we needed like a thousand people to spend fifty dollars, and that's our whole budget. So like if everybody downloaded it and bought a T-shirt, it's like. It's a lot easier to get a thousand rabid fans I think, than it is to get, like we're talking about, a million viewers gives you a thousand dollars on YouTube. It's like, okay, it's a lot more likely that we'll we'll end up with a couple hundred rabid fans or something than than we're gonna than needing to find fifteen million people to watch our movie so that we can make three grand on YouTube or whatever. It's like, you yeah. know, I, I wish that we had a model that was sort of replicable that filmmakers would follow instead of just going down the film hub route or whatever else it is, you know. 
it, just just try it. Just try stuff like that. You know. So anyway, great. Yeah. I'd love to maybe have you back on the show in another year or so Absolutely. and see how it all all panned out for you on, on this totally. next film. You know, I, I think that would be great. But is there anything else that we didn't cover that you would, would like to get to or say or talk about? No, so I don't think so. Yeah. To do that. We covered a lot of good, good ground. Yeah. This, is, this is great. Last is just, you know, where can people follow you, you know, see your movie and, you know, all that kind of stuff you want to. Yeah. Uh, so you can find me on socials. It's just my whole name. So at Victoria Rotuga on all the platforms. And then Lexi is available on Tubi and Amazon. Um, you can also buy DVDs and VHSs from my store if you want. My web series Disgraced is also on Tubi and Amazon. And then, yeah, Colbo's The Wind for now is on colbo'sthewindfilm.com and it should be on all the other platforms six, nine months from now. We'll see how yeah. it all goes. DVD. <laughs> All right, that is all for today. What a lovely interview. I really enjoyed this one, hearing Victoria's story, hearing some real numbers, some real transparency into her process. It's what this podcast is all about. Speaking of which, if you enjoyed this episode, please do rate and or review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you listen. That is the best way that you can help me grow the show and reach a wider audience of independent filmmakers and others who just want to try to understand this crazy, crazy world of independent film distribution. As always, feel free to contact me directly with any feedback or suggestions for the show. To that end, I want to let you all know that I am out there looking for more guests to be on the show. When I started this podcast, oh, back in February, I put out calls on social media, Facebook, Twitter, email, and I got a flurry of responses. Lots of people interested in telling their stories. And it basically took me a whole year to get through that initial round of contacts. But now going into 2024, I'm looking to line up a whole new slate of guests for you for the show. So if you are a filmmaker with experience in distributing your own independent film, or you know somebody who fits that category, or even if you you know have a suggestion on somebody who might be able to tell a good story about getting their independent film out to audiences in whatever way they did it, I would love to hear from you. To that end, you can find me on Twitter or I guess I should say X or Instagram at Dark Rose Colin, or you can email me at Colin at darkrosepictures.com. That's Colin, C-O-L-I-N with one L at darkrosepictures.com. And by the way, darkrosepictures.com is my website for my feature and other projects. Its purpose is not just to promote my films, but to tell the story with honesty and transparency of my own personal filmmaking journey. So check it out, darkrosepictures.com. Anyway, I want to thank Victoria Vertuga for a really fun and informative conversation. I want to thank Jeff Freimuth for his awesome work editing this episode. I am busy lining up more great guests for the coming weeks, talking all things indie distribution. So stay tuned, keep getting those movies out there into the world. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Happy holidays, however you celebrate. I hope you're having a good one and I'll see you next week, next month, next year. 